Hey guys, today we are brought to you by Rogue Country and Rogue Radio, so make sure you tune into their shows every week at Mixcloud. Here's their little advert. Rogue Radio, now available on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com forward slash Rogue Country. Keep it rogue. And Rogue Country is the place to find new, independent, unsigned country roots, folk and blues artists. I'm super proud to be working with them. Their radio show with Alex and Bob is fucking incredible. It's super funny. There's so many great musicians and, you know, songs, not just from new musicians, but there's the classics getting played as well right alongside them. And it's just a super fun show. So go check out Rogue Country and Rogue Radio. Today's episode, as always, is brought to you by me, Mike West, and my debut album, The Next Life. Again, I'm super fucking proud of this record and i think you guys will enjoy it too if you enjoy any of my guests on this podcast i think it'll have something for you it's nine tracks it's varied it's a roller coaster this is what i want it to be and yeah i'm gonna drop a clip for you now you've had a good holiday christmas new year break and all that jazz with not even two weeks into 2021 and we can already tell this year is going to be crazy as well so however you find solitude and peace and tranquility in you know these crazy times please continue to do so we all need music and podcasts and film as a way to escape this and it's um something that really unifies people at a time when everything's you know designed to drive us apart and divide us music and the creative arts are always a great unifier so please continue to be doing whatever you're passionate about as long as it's not breaking into the capital and and just you know do the things that you enjoy that also bring beauty and light into this world because god knows we fucking need it that brings us perfectly to today's guest which is mr jack browning jack i first discovered i think we talked about it in the podcast is i first saw a picture he did of waylon jennings and i'm a huge art fan and i collect comic art i love country music and stuff so if someone draws you know a country legend i'm gonna be all over that shit not only that he's also done the white buffalo's latest album artwork which is really interesting and on top of that he's also a great musician himself so we get into all that as well so we've got artwork music promoting yourself americana versus country and it's just a really fun chat with jack and i really hope you enjoy it i'm not going to talk for too long because this is a really fun podcast so without further ado the first podcast of 2021 this is into the van with mike west and jack brown 
Welcome to Into the Van with me, Mike West. Thanks so much for joining us, man. I really appreciate it. And I think the first thing I ever saw from yourself, it was art first. It was a Waylon Jennings piece you did. Yeah, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so, yeah, the Waylon one was... Um, Damn, like, I can't believe how long ago that was, but I think that was getting on for a year ago. Really? Yeah. yeah. And with, like, art and music, which came first in terms of, like, what you gravitated towards or when you were younger, what did you pick up first? I think um, art was definitely not something that I always did. Um, I was always, like, pissing parents off, with, like, <laughs> having craft, you know, crap everywhere. But, um, and I kind of came to music, like, really late, to mm. be honest. Um, so I tried learning the guitar when I was about nine mm. and tried again when I was 11 and then tried again when I was 13 and that was kind of when it stuck um but yeah I didn't really have like a always loved music but never had any kind of inkling that it, mm. it was going to be a hobby let alone sort of turn into kind of what it has done <laughs> yeah yeah cool man and with art like we'll hit the art first because I was like your first introduction what were like your influences or what like made you want to be an artist and study it and you know draw as much as you have i think the boho lifestyle definitely <laughs> um kind of influenced a little bit you know like when you see people like um you know like kind of modern guys like anselm kiefer and then just kind of seeing some of the old um kind of american painters and stuff they, they're kind of like my biggest influence i guess like the old uh kind of painters and illustrators um mm. it's kind of hard not to want to give it a go um yeah. but yeah i think um I think it was just when I started getting a little bit of attention, a little bit of buzz around what I was doing, it was sort of like, oh, this could be mm. a little bit more on the hobby. Because I tried, I tried to drop art like three times through school. Mm. Um, for some reason, I just kept at it. Like, <laughs> kind of not expect, again, like not expecting it to be any more than, you know, uh, a, a subject to yeah. kind of pad school out, let alone something I'd want to do for a living. Um, so it's definitely a weird one. Yeah, cool, man. And what, like you said, you were getting a buzz. What pieces or what kind of style were you doing where you started like realizing you could turn it into something more than a hobby? What were people like gravitating towards for what you were doing? So I did, um, it was probably towards the end of um, my time at sick form. So I did, um, I was probably like 17, 18. I started doing these kind of live um, uh, painting sessions basically mm. where, someone would have a gig and they'd invite me down and I'd produce like a portrait in like three or four hours of like a musician or something. So I kind of got some local buzz from that. And then I did this piece um, of uh, Princess Leia uh, mm. just after Carrie Fisher passed away. And that like got on to like the local news and then like BBC. Oh, yeah. And um, yeah, suddenly just started getting this buzz. And then obviously kind of like the Lemmy portrait and things mm. like that got picked up by like motorhead and stuff like that and it just kind of it was quite organic but it was um it was really surprising yeah, that's really interesting <laughs> still, still is, yeah yeah no that's a it's really weird because it seems that like the way that art can reach people and like bands or like public figures will gravitate or they'll notice like actual art in a way that just resonates with a lot of different people and it's really cool about your stuff and I was on your website and things and you talked about how you did realism, but then you moved more into like figurative. So I just kind of wanted to break down what the difference was. Cause I collect art myself. Like I've got a few pieces 
behind me that's only, all. only a couple <laughs> yeah well it's all um i collect loads like comic art sweet so, cool. so I've got that's always that. that's something i've always wanted to be able to do but yeah. i just i'm naff um <laughs> yeah but like i love kind of comic art and stuff and realism's a whole different thing and what i really like especially when like you see comic artists do like real people and things is they do it, but it's not realistic. And I think is that kind of what figurative is pretty much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so you painting, I kind of describe it as you're painting a lot of shit. There's naturally there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you might like mess with the palette or you might mess with, um, like the composition or something. Um, I think I did a portrait recently, like commission, and that was probably the first time, it had really kind of melded together into exactly how I wanted it to look. And it was just kind of, um, I don't know. I always like to kind of paint and, and give the painting the impression of like being like a 35 millimeter film, mm. something like that, that kind of, you know, super colorful, but kind of washed out palette. I, I kind of enjoy that. So I guess that's what I mean by figurative. Um, but it takes lots of forms, you know, um, things can still be realistic without, being realism and what's like your process when you approach a piece so say you approach in the Wayland Jennings one what do you start with or how do you approach that first so like the black and white stuff is is, is the easiest thing that I do um, I still don't know what my process is um, I get asked that quite a lot <laughs> with um, you know the people that are like collecting my work or people that I'm teaching or whatever um, and I don't know, it, feel, it feels like a fluke every time. <laughs> I guess that's the best way of putting it. Yeah. But with Wailing and the black and white stuff, it's kind of the easiest. I'll find an image that I like and I'll kind of manipulate it enough to kind of break it into like these kind of, cons you know, like constituent parts. Um, very much like an illustrative comic kind of approach. Um, and then rather than focusing on like drawing features or, you know, sort of like oh you know i'll draw this eye i'll approach the eye as like the shapes that make that space mm. up um kind of almost kaleidoscopic i guess it's oh, like really yeah looking at a lot of the geometry as opposed to and, uh, and i suck at math so like <laughs> again that is equally surprising that yeah. i've sort of gravitated towards this quite technical way of doing it but yeah. it seems to work and you know um but, you know, even like a year ago now, like my process has changed again. So it's constantly on the fly. Um, yeah. And is there a particular part when you're doing a study of a person or something where like you start with the same thing at all times, like you start with an eye or is it, does it change from piece by piece? Um, I, I mean, generally, yeah, I'll start with like the facial features for a black and white illustration. Um, and, and pretty much the same with the painting as well. I might get like the overall kind of impression of it sort of laid down mm. but yeah the first thing that will go on are things like the eyes and because uh, i think once you got that it, it's sort of already halfway to looking like a person mm. and um then you're on the right track you know <laughs> cool man and with your more elaborate paintings and what medium do you use and is it like watercolor or is it oil based for your bigger pieces um so i used to use acrylics um mm. and that was because as an 18 year old um i was broke <laughs> now i'm just broke uh, with a cool hat um <laughs> but i did get given a set of oils about four years ago from uh, one of my best mates his mum had tried picking it up in the 80s um and she had like this ridiculous like leather brief briefcase 
and it was full of Bob Ross branded oil paint. No way. Um, so like that was my first introduction to oil painting. It was like using this like 40 year old set of Bob, Bob Ross paints. Like you squeezed it and they come in like toothpaste tubes and you squeeze it and you can just feel it's like solid <laughs> in there. So it's just completely degraded. Mm. And then over time I built up this stuff, but yeah, a lot of the, the more kind of uh, intricate stuff is, is oils uh, yeah. now. Cool. And with like commissions and stuff, do you find they've increased lately or has it been like a steady flow of commission work for you? Um, so it was, it was really fucking odd. Um, I, I got a buddy from, um, America and he's also a painter. And when all this kicked off last year, um, he said like, dude, prepare to not sell work for like two years at least. Mm. Um, and I thought it was going to be really bad, but I ended up having like my busiest year. Um, and because I'm so like, uh, slow, I guess at the minute, um, it's all carried on to now. So I've got sort of plenty to crack on with, which is good. <laughs> cool, man. And like one of the, I like, I think one of the biggest pieces that a lot of people know you by now, even if they don't know your name is you did the white Buffalo's recent album artwork. I read your blog and stuff, but how did that come about in of itself? It was really weird. It's actually sitting in my studio right now. Um, I've still got it and it's the craziest thing. Um, but back in 2018, I was I was actually just heading out on tour with um, a dude called Aaron, who I played with for a while. Um, I think we were like driving through France, and I had this like mental idea where I just emailed the White Buffaloes uh, management team, sort of saying, uh, "I've got tickets to an upcoming show in London. If I did a painting, would I just be able to like hand it off?" And I got a response, which I just didn't expect at all. Um, and that was probably, uh, probably about three or four months later, I, I was taking like this portrait I'd done of the white buffalo, sort of about A2 size, uh, just down to London. And I went to um, Shepherd's Bush Empire, um, got to the stage door, carrying this like just stupidly packed <laughs> painting. And um, I was like, yeah, cool, I'm here to see. Um, and it was like literally like here to see Mr. Buffalo because <laughs> it's like that's how people know him um and she was like no we've got like a a mod event on I was like you serious like there's no white buffalo she's like yeah we've got like an oasis tribute night so I double checked the ticket and it was Kentish Town for him oh, fuck um yeah I was feeling uh, a bit Kentish um <laughs> And um, so I just hopped back on the train, ran to Kenwich Town, went in to the stage door and um, just this tank of a security guy came out and was like, yeah, dude, you just missed him. He's gone to uh, like dinner. So he's going to be like an hour or two. So I was like, oh, okay, uh, can I drop this in? And he was basically like, look, I don't have a clue who you are. It's like hairy 19 year old just out on the steps of Kenwich Town Forum. Um, but yeah, eventually I, I, I got there, uh, handed the painting off and then got back in line. I handed off his manager and he said like, that I might be able to get you to come and say hello to, to Jake or whatever. Uh, just keep your phone on. So I'm sitting there watching the support act and I just get this phone call and I, I met this really great, uh, Irish dude called Stuart and his missus. And I had a buddy on my right as well. And I was just like, you guys just saved my spot for like a couple of minutes and um 
just like yeah sort of leapt the barrier went round and just got to hang with Jake and he like he was um he kind of seemed psyched to meet me, which was the mm. most surprising thing. And he was like, so yeah, like what, do you want me to sort of pose with it so you can advertise it? I was like, man, I did it as an excuse to like come and meet you. <laughs> I'll be honest. And he was like, uh, he was like, cool. So we, we got this picture and everything. Um, and then literally like 18 months later, I was on the way to like a hospital appointment and um, just had an email come up and they were like, yeah, you might remember us um, with the White Buffalo's management. It's got a new album out. Would you be willing to, like your name kept coming up would you be willing to do it? So like, you know, how are you going to respond to that? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm definitely, I definitely tried to play it cool, but <laughs> totally failed. It was really, <laughs> it's probably really lame if you look back at it, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah. And it was just, um, it's probably about four months work. And I knew about the record for, for about seven months before it was announced. Yeah. So I had all my buddies knowing that I was a massive fan of it. Like going, Oh yeah. Did you know the like, white Buffalo's got a new album coming out? I was like, no, no, I don't not got a clue what you mean man <laughs> yeah. and did they let you listen to the album while you were working or anything to get a feel for it or was it yeah it was a really um they gave me like a lot of freedom um i mean i remember uh, 2019 i'd not long started uni um mm. and um yeah i just jumped on this like video call uh to california so it was like crazy late here um and they were like yeah they sent me over a link to the record but the brief was literally yeah dude so it's about uh the sea and it's called on the widow's walk and it's quite moody but the second half it's uh it's you know it's a bit more more light i was like cool all right <laughs> i'll come up with that um so yeah it was, it was really kind of organic and really free um and it was just a lot of like kind of tweaking on the go, you know? Mm. Yeah. And you've got the original now. Do they plan on getting the original to them or like who's having that at the end of the process? Yeah. So basically like um, I finished it in sort of end of January last year. Um, and I just, you know, we don't both like the record label and myself just want to make sure like everything's kind of reliable again yeah. before we're sending it. Cause there is only the one. Yeah. Makes uh, sense. So yeah, but eventually it's going to be heading to uh, yeah, Carver, Culver City in California. So cool, man. I'm like, obviously, you're a musician yourself, and you've got songs out. So I make a noise <laughs> <laughs> with those songs. Obviously, as an artist, you've have you done the artwork yourself for those as well? Um, so mine, no. Um, it, it's one of those things. Like, if I have to be creative for myself in any way, I'm I'm really bad at it. Um, so uh, my missus is a graphic designer, mm. luckily. So um, if you can't afford graphic design work, you like propose the one instead, right? So yeah, <laughs> um, yeah she she sorted out sort of all the graphics for for my releases. Oh, cool! And do you send like a similar white buffalo esque brief to her to be like it's kind of moody, and then it's I'm, the, I'm, <laughs> I'm terrible. I'm like desert. That was, I think that was the brief for a walking man, which was like my latest one, which is like mm. desert. And then she was like, I'm going to need more. So I was like, stylized desert. <laughs> um, and then, sorry, the, the first release I did back in 2018 was um, a good buddy of mine, uh, John Kemp. And, and he just got this really kind of spontaneous moody shot of me after we recorded um, like a music video. And that's what I ended up using. Okay, and was that for the gallows poll? 
Yeah, that's the one, yeah. Cool, man. And with kind of like, we'll get into music and stuff, but with that art perspective, do you link the art and the songs together to like to create like a cohesive piece or is it you like keep them separate so they like almost have a duality to them? What's your process behind like the music and the art coming into it? I kind of, um, so I have like this obsession, uh, probably much like yourself with kind of American culture and mm. everything. And kind of the best examples of that for me are when you kind of combine, you know, the art with the music. So mm. before I ever kind of gave music a really good go, it was a lot of my artwork in college and things like that. It was all kind of very much linked. So I'd have songs playing or something along with whatever mm. I displayed. Um, and then kind of, I, I get a, a vibe for a song and I almost imagine that it's someone else's music. How would I approach that as an album cover? Mm. Um, and then I just get someone way better to do it for me. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's what I've done with all my art at the moment is a, like all my album cover was done by a guy I'm at a Comic-Con because I love like watching artists work. So I'm always hovering over tables and things, watching people draw stuff. And I saw yeah. this guy doing like tarot cards. I was like, I have to get him to do my album cover. And I've just finished a piece. Well, I, I haven't finished a piece. I've just commissioned a piece from another artist from Liverpool to do it. And it was a few back and forths because I have like, with certain things, I have like specific backgrounds and things. So for the album artwork, there was like my tattoos hidden in there with this latest one. There's like initials carved into the trees and stuff that all have meanings that to me, I know what they are. And to other people, if they dig, they can find them. I really yeah. love that kind of specificity while trying to create something cool because at the end of the day, yeah, it's like it little Easter cool. you know? Yeah. Like I'm a, I'm big into games and stuff uh, like video games. Um, mm. And yeah, I just love kind of finding little references and little nods. So I try and hide them in all my artwork as well. Mm. Um, you know, kind of like, even if it's like in my earlier work, like little jokes to my mates and stuff like mm. hitting it, like one of them bet that I couldn't get like a, you know, like a penis and hide that in one of my paintings. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I will do it. That's the problem. <laughs> um, and then, you know, even down to, so I'm working on one now where I'm putting a load of uh, like old uh, elder food dark runes, like old Norse mm. runes to the painting and stuff. So, you know, it's one of those things, especially for an album cover, you know, every time someone sort of pulls it out of the shelf or whatever, I want them to find something new. Yeah. You know? Cool, man. So like going to music, you said like guitar, it took you a while to, gravitate towards what was it that made you kind of stick with it um so my first ever guitar teacher uh like we were under the impression at my school at the time that you could like be lent one for the lessons um mm. and his response to that was we don't have guitars but you can just practice on a broom handle so that's probably why that one didn't stick yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the second one i was learning like hoagie pop stuff and I wasn't really into that. And um, I guess the thing that made it stick was kind of like being 13. I had a really cool guy teaching me who sort of lived local and he was someone I, I sort of still look up to in terms of like work ethic and stuff. Um, and I think I just started to take like music more seriously. Mm. Um, you know, I became more into kind of 
listening to records. I was, you know, like subscribed to classic rock magazine and stuff. I, I just took more of a interest mm. in like the wider kind of music world. Um, and kind of thought, you know, I'll be pretty sweet if I can get involved in this in some way. Um, cool, man. And what were like your early influences when you were playing guitar? Like who did you want to be and what kind of, did you grow up listening to? Um, <laughs> I used to work in a guitar store, man. I used to get ripped the <laughs> fuck out for this. But Bon Jovi was like, I guess, the first music act I became like obsessed with, I suppose. Um, and then from there, you kind of, you know, obviously like discovered Guns N' Roses, Aerosmith. Um, so I guess like my earliest guitar heroes were probably, you know, like Joe Perry, Slash. Um, you know, and I guess if you ask like most other people, that those names probably crop up more than most. Um, and, um, yeah, I guess sort of that. And then my, my the guy teaching me at the time really introduced me to a lot of kind of, I fucking hate the term, but like Americana. Yeah. Um, so there was like a lot of, you know, like Neil Young, um, America, uh, Johnny Cash, that kind of thing. Um, along with like the influences that like my old man showed me growing up, you know, Dylan and mm. uh, kind of Jackson Brown, people like that. So, Yeah. yeah. Cool, man. Americana is such a weird term for things it's such an overarching thing because americana can mean from like the johnny cash records to rocky's fucking boxing shorts really like it's yeah, a exactly. weird term to be used for such like a genre of music and especially like americana uk i mean it's like yeah yeah it's kind of a, a needs must thing isn't it like yeah. you have to tag yourself as americana like to be seen but you know, as you said, it could be like a fucking stylized like petrol pump. You yeah. know, that that's Americana as well. So. Yeah, weird one. Yeah, it's a really strange thing. That's why I kind of like I'm adamantly using country as like yeah. what I go under, and I know it's a bastardized version of it, but like I always feel more like I've never. I don't think I've ever used Americana in a bio about myself, and I don't think I've. I may have tagged stuff with it because obviously needs must and algorithms. Yeah. yeah. But um, it's such a weird, uncomfortable term to use. And it's just the way it's been appropriated and the way it gets used is just, it's a never ending debate, I guess. Yeah, it makes me feel slimy using yeah. it. But, but you know, yeah. and then like, you know, you say like what you do is a bastardized version of country, but it's like, it's more country than, you know, like any of the pop or like bro country stuff. That, uh... Yeah, it's, it's a weird one again because country's been yeah. subjected to such a change that you can't really see it in the modern stuff and i say you can't see the the mainstream modern stuff there's tons of great modern stuff out there that is country music but it's a really weird time to be in with but it's the same with metal everyone just argues over everything but it's i've had some because i used to play in a couple metal bands and i had some like insane conversations with some insane people about like the specificity of um of certain like metal genres yeah and uh, i found it's exactly the same with country yeah yeah but so with obviously playing guitar you've been touring in bands and things when was the first like what was the first band you toured with and stuff what's your history in being a musician and uh, like performing I, I had a pretty kind of locally successful band um all through like college mm. uh, and that was kind of my first exposure of kind of booking gigs myself you know uh driving to gigs myself mm. i remember once i had like a uh, my car at the time was like obviously like just 
the most generic five door little starter car that you know you can get um and all f- all four members of the band plus our mate who was photographing us and all of our gear um were stuffed into this like tiny voxel corsa <laughs> and i i had to take the long way home because we couldn't get up the fucking hill that uh <laughs> that led to where like we lived um we got like a third of the way up it and the car just like started to conk out even though I was like <laughs> revving it. So I was, I was like, right, take a long way home. Um, and then like, uh, there's a dude on the scene called Aaron Keylock and he was, he had a few kind of, you know, like successful runs with uh, like the mascot label and mm. stuff toured with Blackberry Smoke and people like that. Uh, and we're literally, he's literally one day older than I am. So we've, all, we've always been like on each other's radars um, and we're always trying to meet up, but like something always happened every mm. time we try to meet up. And then one day he was like, uh, he messaged me, this is probably like late 2017. So I was, I think, 19. Mm. <laughs> and uh, he was like, uh, yeah, man, like I need a, a new bass player for like my band. Um and I kind of knew he was having, you know, like a, a pretty good run. So I was like, yeah, I play bass. I didn't. Um, <laughs> I didn't have a bass, nor a bass amp. Um, so it was a pretty wild kind of start. But yeah, mm. that was that was the first kind of introduction to proper touring. Mm. Uh, it definitely, definitely skipped a few steps as well. Like we were, we were playing some pretty cool places and, you know, being treated pretty well. Nice. Uh, and I also played in a Southern rock outfit uh, called RHR sort of between 2018 and, and 2019. Yeah, that's um, Ross Hutchinson and Redfin, is it? Yeah, that's yeah. it, yeah. Cool, man. I did a gig with Troy maybe 2018, I think. Oh, cool, man. Yeah, so yeah. I uh, I only ever met uh, Jack Hutchinson um, mm. before we played our first show. Uh, we didn't have any rehearsals or anything. It was like the craziest thing. And then one day me and Jack were just driving up to like the kind of meet point uh, and we got in the van and it was just like, hey man, hey man, hey man. <laughs> uh, and then we played the first show that night. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, Troy's a, Troy's a great dude. Doing really well as well. So Yeah, there's like a really cool wave at the moment in the UK with like the new wave of classic rock and yeah. those type of people and like, Troy Redfin, Jack J. Hutchinson, and Mike Ross are really like I think at the forefront of what they're doing. Like those three guys are really yeah. Like, I, I was pretty lucky. Um, everything kind of aligned at the right time. It was just as um, what we were doing with Aaron was transitioning into uh, a band. So mm. instead of Aaron and a backing band, it was turning into a band. So there was some time, uh, and then yeah, Jack sort of recommended me for the the bass job and and. You know, sort of four months later, we did like this crazy tour all around the UK over like two weeks. So, segment. And what was kind of your transition then from you know those like the not metal bands, but they're like hard rock. They've got that blues edge to them. What was your transition then to you know full like walking man acoustic country blues that you're playing now? Um. <laughs> like the weirdest chain of events, I guess. Um, you know, so back when I was playing in like the heavy stuff, um, you know, I was working in a guitar store and stuff. And, and I guess there's like that, there is that stereotype, you know, you're, 
you're around dudes that kind of not necessarily the guys I work with, but a lot of the people that come in, you know, it's, mm. it's kind of their bread and butter. So you talk about it a lot. Um, and it's kind of just like the loudest kind of anxious, like most fun thing to play. Um, and and then I discovered Tyler Childers on tour with um, a buddy of mine called Paolo Morena in, uh, we were in Amsterdam. Mm. And we, we finished like the last show of this tour and we were staying over with a buddy and um, I think we we came in at 5 a.m. And um, so we're all sitting there and he had this like kind of really nice apartment and we're kind of watching the sun come up over Amsterdam and he's cooking us dinner. We're all kind of like absolutely <laughs> um, car crashed. And um, and then, yeah, he put on the like our vinyl sessions that Totally Chills yeah. did. And um, straight away, I, I like bolted up right away and I was like man I need to know who this is okay. and um kind of yeah discovered like him and Cole to wall and a lot of the kind of modern country guys and kind of thought yeah I want to be doing this stuff it was kind of almost like immediate sick man that's really interesting because I saw Tyler it must have been about 2018 I saw him in Manchester and there was like 80 people there in Jimmy's <laughs> Yeah, I think I saw him on that tour as well at Dingwalls in Camden. Yeah. It was like 50 people. So, yeah, and it so was like, yeah, these tiny shows, and this was like he was getting the buzz, but it was more in America. And exactly. then the next tour after that, he was playing like sold out, like academy level tours. Yeah, Shepherd's Bush Empire, um, all the O2 academies, and that. Yeah. yeah, it was wild. It was the same with Coulter. Um, yeah. First time I ever saw him, it was. Um, at the Astoria in London. So mm. again, 80 people maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, saw yeah. him at the uh, Deaf Institute, I assume, on the same tour with a yeah. more fallen. But it's weird for like what Coulter and Tyler have done is like blow up in a you know short amount of time. And then there's these country fans. Because I was standing in a sold-out show in Manchester, like where the fuck have these people been for any other country gig that's been around yeah. in the UK? So I don't know if it's still that kind of like the UK pop country scene is what's seen as the only country music option in the UK, but it's interesting to see that the demands there for the type of stuff you play and the type of stuff I play and the type of stuff other people play. But the yeah, it surprised the hell out of me, man. Um, like if anything, in my experience, like the kind of country crowd is, is kind of so much younger and kind of, uh, more into it than I could have ever expected. Um, and uh, yeah, just to kind of have that explosion, you know, you sort of think like, where the hell were you hiding that like Lone Star Belt buckle from, man? Like, yeah. you know, you've seen people that were like really like white collar jobs and stuff. And then all of a sudden, like the Stetson comes out. I'm like, oh, no, no way. All right. Yeah. Okay, cool. You know. Yeah. It's really weird because it's like, it is a younger crowd, especially when I saw like Childers and Wall and stuff because the new wave of classic rock they've got a quite like 40s to 60s yeah. demographic. So it's where are these young people hiding that like Childers and how can you kind of access them Yeah, for, you know, selfishly, how can we get them to like our gigs in the UK? Because if they're there, you know, Childers isn't coming around every year. So it's where are those people so we can get them to get Where do they kind of get their fix from in the meantime? Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just because, you know, like, Tyler and, and Coulter and people like that, they're, they're just kind of 
that good you know that that is the biggest thing obviously is like i'm not comparing ourselves to tyler and colton because they are fucking huge for a reason yeah and it's one of those things of just like if you like them maybe you'll like this but it's always just kind of like picking at the thread especially with like road country and stuff it's like how can we get that kind of attention or just a part of that attention to what these artists are doing to try and get them for like mark J. Lee or whoever yeah i do feel like there's almost a kind of you know like cult of personality yeah. around so many of the acts yeah yeah there's a lot of like this cultivated kind of mystique and stuff and i guess that just makes it more interesting kind of you know more attractive from like an audience standpoint yeah that cult of personality thing's really astute because i've kind of fell out of love with especially like tyler and Sturgill Simpson and stuff and how they've kind of not behaved but just the way they've kind of withdrawn a bit and it's like I get when people want the art to speak first but then there's when you kind of come off and withdraw yourself it's like does or does that need to happen in such a way that you generally feel like a bit isolated or you lose that kind of connection with the artist yeah for sure and uh yeah, I think if you got something to say, you should definitely, you know, just sort of come out and say it. But um, as you said, it's sort of removing that kind of, you know, trying to keep everyone happy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely got to be difficult. Yeah, because they're not, they don't shy away from the political things. But I've seen, like, I remember I saw Sturgill last year in Manchester, and he was kind of angry at the fact he had to tour. And in between songs, he didn't say that much, but then he was kind of explaining how he was touring Europe. And it was, they were losing money. So it was like, we shouldn't have to be here or even be here. And I'm like, well, don't then basically <laughs> like yeah. we're, we've all paid to be here. Like you don't like say, well, I don't actually want to be here. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a bit, I had that like going to see, uh, see Bob Dylan as well though. Um, there was a kind of like when we came out of, it was at the Royal Albert Hall and I was probably like 14 and there was a, like this collective, what the fuck? that like when everyone was coming out uh, like filtering out after the show mm. um and i had it with eric clapton as well when he played um uh british summertime in 2018 mm. you kind of got this uh thing that they were kind of like uh you know like dragging him on yeah you know he didn't want to be there and it definitely shows it, it makes it really uncomfortable it's like really palpable yeah it's weird man and like i get the kind of disdain for social media and playing that game and I just watched, have you seen Spree on Netflix? No, no, I haven't. It's like this new horror comedy film. And it's all about like this influencer trying to go viral. Right. And it's quite shallow in the way that it comes across, but it does hammer home what people are willing to do for social media. So I always get the argument about having to pull back. But yeah, the- yeah, I've, I've tried it this year, you know, like... Um, kind of made social media apps like harder to get to for me yeah. and I kind of try and use it just for you know either like it's kind of like two ends of the spectrum like either for business or just for a laugh yeah. um because I think you can't get swallowed by it and uh you know it's weird though like going back to that whole thing about you know having an atmosphere in a gig like you know I've been in bands and stuff and you know I, I played one gig um in front of like a couple of thousand uh, and I knew that was my last show with the band mm. and, and we all knew it, you know, it was like, so it was quite uncomfortable, mm. uh, but looking back at it, like you wouldn't have a clue from, from being in the crowd. 
I kind of think that's the way it should be. Um, but it's a difficult one. Yeah. You know? yeah it's a weird one i can always like sometimes if a gig's going badly like my partner who comes to some shows she can she can kind of see when my attitude changes yeah it's exactly just... the same for Anne as well like, yeah. she'll, she'll turn around and be like that was you know that was really good you know like baby you did you did a great job but you can't like keep saying the f-bomb <laughs> <laughs> or you know like you can look up when you're playing and uh, you know i'm sort of like yeah i know i definitely can feel that yeah. It's, yeah. For me, it's like, did you have to do the five minute political rant and call everyone cunts? Um, yeah, like, that's it. I, did, exactly. I didn't have to, but it felt good at the time. Yeah. Yeah. But like with the kind of social media stuff, it's getting that balance of pulling back. But it's also, as a musician, especially like at our level, it's what do you do to try and promote yourself without sounding like you're selling your soul or being one of those like influencers who aren't actually generating anything worthwhile to look at do you yeah. as a artist as like uh like in the painting or me like that medium sense and as a musician do you find it hard to differentiate between the two when you promote them or do you kind of use the same approach whether it's a single release or a painting do you have different routes to go i mean in terms of like self-promotion um kind of the walking man thing when i released that in october that was just um that was meant to be like, uh, you know, like a demo, really. Mm. And then it started picking up all this attention, like quite organically. Um, and so I just kind of helped move it along. Mm. Um, and then with art, I feel because you've got something tangible, yeah, you can kind of just let the artwork speak for itself in the sense that, you know, so it if it's going to pay off, it'll pay off eventually. You don't really have to do a ton. Yeah. Um, so like the white buffalo you know I it was just a case of messaging his manager and coming up with this painting I posted it Jake shared it on his Instagram and then 18 months later when everyone had forgotten about it including me <laughs> um, you know I get to do the album cover for for his next release um, I had it with one of my paintings I did uh, like a portrait three years later it got selected um, for this competition that I've basically been like forced to enter by my family. <laughs> and um, I got the email through and it was like, yeah, you've been selected. And I had to go and deliver it to like the national museum in Amsterdam. Mm. Um, and I sort of like, I couldn't find it anywhere in my studio and realized I was using it as a parcel shelf in my car. <laughs> so it was kind of like a case of getting out of the car and just like kind of buffing out and, <laughs> dense and then like i think some antifreeze had spilled on it so i was kind of just like trying to wash it without um getting the paint off and stuff like that is you know and, and and to be fair it's normally the stuff that you least expect yeah. will lead to anything that normally leads to kind of the most stuff mm. um, cool. yeah 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 it's such a weird one with that type of thing and i know like loads of people struggle with it and there's always groups and stuff but with going back to your music and stuff and you have that kind of slag guitar or all the instruments on the record yourself for yeah what you're playing on oh cool man yeah. and with the slag guitar and stuff what are you using like what's your setup for the acoustic stuff what are you, what, what guitars are you using <laughs> so i've got the same acoustic guitar that i've had since i started learning really yeah it's like a, a washburn and that. i've just 
yeah, you know, I've never really seen the like the need to change it. I, I yeah. you know, I want to get some more stuff, but yeah, it's not like it's desperate. Um, through a crappy two-way interface I got when I worked at the guitar shop, mm. um, through this laptop, it's like the most minimal thing. Um, like the kind of beat for the song was my. So it was during the heat waves last year in isolation. Mm. Iconic. Um, <laughs> and I couldn't get the sound I wanted for like my foot tapping. So like in shorts and a vest top, like looking proper, like, you know, backwards. Um, I just put on one cowboy boot and I was stamping on a paint palette. Um, so it was like this really hokey kind of recording. Um, so it was just, um, my acoustic and then I got paid a few years ago for a painting with a a really cheap kind of uh, like resonator mm. so I just open tuned that and uh, and it was just yeah kind of a slide and that there was nothing kind of else to it which is kind of made me feel a little bit bad about putting it out <laughs> yeah. I was like no way should like anyone be able to to put together like this setup and be able to release <laughs> music with it you know yeah do you know, that song though and the quality of it like it doesn't come off as what you've just described as this kind of like hitched together duct taped ensemble yeah. it's really I, I kind of I got to put it down to like one of my best mates uh, Wizard who uh, uh, kind of produced it mm. and, uh, and mixed it and um, it really was like you can't polish a turd but you can roll it in glitter <laughs> um and he just, I don't know, he kind of just did something with the raw files that kind of made it pop. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool, man. I'm with, like, Walking Blues and Gallows Pole, and you've got this interest in the American West. Where did that initially come from? Um, so I've always been, like, interested in the West as much as, like, a young boy is, you know? Yeah. So I was always interested in like the guns and, you know, kind of like the larger than life characters and everything. Uh, always watching Westerns with, you know, like either just on my own or with my uncle, mm. sometimes with my old man. Got introduced to Clint Eastwood quite young, so that probably helped. Um, and then a few years ago, I just stumbled upon like this incredible artist from, um, from LA at the time. Uh, and he's a French dude called Marc Majuri. Mm. And um, it just popped up on Instagram. And at the time, he didn't have that many followers. I'm, you know, talking like 10,000 or something like that, which isn't a ton in the grand scheme of things. Um, and he was just producing these super hyper-realistic, uh, like, Western landscape paintings. Mm. And there was always, like, a little story involved. Um, and I don't know what happened, but I was just like... I was on holiday at the time and I just like sat there for the rest of the day, like just sketching these paintings and stuff. Um, and then started collecting books on it and things like that. And I just became like super involved with like this whole kind of, I guess it's kind of undercover because it's no one really knows about it unless you're kind of in it. But yeah. um, there's this massive like resurgence of like American Western kind of art and stuff. Um, and I just sort of stumbled upon it at the right time, you know, to kind of get involved with it. Cool, man. So it's weird to see that, like, to hear that not only is, like, the music kind of come back with a younger generation, but the, like, art form, like, the, the style of it's come back as well. That's really interesting. Was that, like, has there been anything more since you discovered it? Has there been 
you know, has it continued to grow? Yeah, big time. Um, kind of that same guy, Mark Majori. Like when I discovered him maybe five years ago, four years ago, I mean, he had like 10,000. Mm. I think now he's sort of close to, to half a million. Um, really? And you've got these guys like very much working hand in hand with people like Coulter Wall mm. and, um, you know, like kind of bouncing off each other's work sometimes like quite publicly, which obviously helps yeah. both parties. Um, and it just doesn't seem to be stopping anytime soon, which yeah. is kind of the intriguing thing because normally it does kind of burn out, but this is just kind of on this mad upwards trajectory. Um, yeah. I think it's just like really positive, you know, for yeah. like the genre and, you know, if people, if people want to see these paintings, they want a soundtrack for it. And yeah. if they listen to a music, then they want something to visualize what that story is about. So, um, I, you know, I think it's really cool that they can work hand in hand like that. Cool, man. I'm with, like, I'm hoping this kind of brings like the Western film back in a way. Have you seen any modern Western films? Cause I know I was on Netflix the other day and I just typed in like Westerns as a genre. And the only things that came up with the fucking spirit, like the horse films, like the animated ones. Like they were the three films that popped up. It's on like, the, it's like, like the bro Western. country of cinematography, isn't it? Yeah. So is there yeah. anything like in a resurgence, obviously you're into like the art form of it all. Have you seen any like modern Westerns come up? Um, so maybe not necessarily like Westerns per se, but you can definitely find a lot of kind of media, uh, cinema, TV, that kind of thing, uh, which kind of play on the idea of, kind of setting the western into different time timelines yeah the mandalorian's so, probably been the biggest exactly, thing. man like it, it's it is just a western it's amazing yeah. it's, it's really incredible even the soundtrack you know it's like it's so ennio morricone you know it almost hurts it's great um but you know like obviously like one of the biggest examples of kind of more modern cinema you know like no country for old men yeah. that kind of that kind of cinematography, like the Fargo TV series, yeah. um, kind of portraying these kind of lonesome dudes and surrounded by all this kind of American culture. Um, Godless was a really great series on Netflix. Mm. Um, cool, I'll have to check that out. I know there's one on Shudder that's just come out called The Pale Door, which is cool. a Cowboys versus Witches from what I've gathered from the description. So I'm, hyped. I'm hyped to watch that. Yeah, it's like when... Um, they did like the Undead Nightmare DLC for uh, like Red Dead Redemption yeah. back in the day. Um, you know, it's so cool to combine that kind of horror and stuff. And I think, you know, like, again, if you listen to the music, like all the old, old folk music and stuff, it's all steeped in like this kind of supernatural kind of horror mm. tradition, you know, like even up to now, like Gillian Welch doing um, The Devil Had a Hold of Me, you know, and like the kind of history of like the murder ballad and everything. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's all this kind of supernatural stuff. I think, you know, horror and Western go go together so well. Yeah. Yeah, at the moment, I'm, I've got the first verse and I'm trying to figure out the rest, but I'm trying to write a country song about the Mothman at the moment. Nice. <laughs> and it's one of those things where it's like, <laughs> I did the first verse and I went into like the other room where my girlfriend was and I was like, babe, is this stupid? And then like did the first part <laughs> because it's like, you do have that like supernatural leaning for these like for like it lends itself to the country storytelling but it's when you kind of take that leap and i think that's what like people like sean james did ben the witch and amigo yeah. the devil with all his songs have that kind of horror element to them so yeah there kind is of that, like 
you know, Heard and yeah, Gillian Welsh is probably a big one. Willie Watson, you know, yeah. a lot of his stuff kind of has this kind of really macabre, you know, back to it. Yeah. Um, a ton of the old folk stuff does because, I mean, you know, I, I guess when things are uncharted, there's a lot of unknown. The yeah. best way of making sense for that stuff is uh, like the boogeyman, right? So, yeah, definitely. I think, like, I always kind of say that the um, Robert Johnson, like, Me and the Devil Blues is the first, like, metal song. And it's the mm-hmm. first one dealing with like, or like one of the first dealing with the occult and stuff. And then you listen to the Leuven brothers doing Knoxville Gale. And you're like, these are just straight up horror stories. Yeah. Because- and, um, you know, I remember um, going to see a Willie Watson show and he, he said this whole thing about the night before this woman had got really irate in the crowd because she was saying like the songs he was playing were like super um, like misogynistic mm-hmm. because it always involved like the woman being killed. And he was like, what are you doing at a folk gig? Like, that is folk. Yeah. You know, that is folk and that is country. It's like, you know, uh, but if you listen, normally it's like the woman's ghost, like getting revenge, right? So yeah. he, he, he did this whole monologue about it. It was, it was really funny. Um, you know, but like, just like you said, Robert Johnson's kind of like the first kind of metal, you know, like metal musician in mm. a sense. It's kind of like Muddy Waters being like the first gangster rapper. Yeah. You know? Yeah, man, um, it's all in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the songs I always try and play is "Champagne and Reefer," and yeah, that was like in the '60s. But it's the first gangster rap. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just he's flexing on, uh, you know, on all the drugs and booze and women he can afford, and that you know, it's 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 cool to see like the the line, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. It's such a interesting thing to pull those threads, and obviously, like the woman does have a point with the misogynistic you know, viewpoint of these just women getting murdered constantly in these songs. But hopefully, like, the narrator or the person in that song does get their comeuppance eventually. And the murder ballads that the women sing are fucking brilliant too. Yeah, they're amazing. <laughs> and none of it's, like, celebrating any of it. You know? yeah. yeah, that's the thing. They, none of them are, like, celebratory in the sense and stuff. But, yeah. um, yeah, we're coming up to the hour mark at the moment. What are you working on now, both music and paint-wise? So music, um, I'm kind of just trying to write some original stuff. Mm. Um, kind of, it, it, there was like this transition between like touring and the bands and stuff to Walking Man. Where I was really trying to find out what it was I wanted to do. Yeah. But like kind of every day I'm getting closer to kind of working out exactly what that is. Mm. Um, painting wise, I've, I'm doing a couple more album covers, which sort of should be dropping soon for some great music as well. Oh, awesome. Um, as well as a couple of, you know, kind of Western inspired stuff and also mm. um, some kind of more abstract bits, things like that. Um, but at the minute, it's just trying to sort of keep everything afloat, you know? Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. yeah and what's been your process with like the new stuff that you're writing and with say like Walking Man, what's your kind of process for writing that music? So Walking Man was just like super spontaneous. I kind of just came into like the, like, essentially a man cave Um you know, like lunchtime and just came out at five o'clock with like um, this recording I just sort of decided to do off the cuff. Um, I tend to kind of overthink stuff. So Mm. it's kind of trying not to think too much now. Yeah. Um, Just kind of thinking, you know, like if it's, if if it's done and it sounds, you know, like it could be finished, then it probably is. So. Sick man. I'm with like the new stuff and you're trying to find your voice. Do you think, 
with the painting and stuff and the music, what do you think is like the best representation of yourself? Because I know I've done comics and things and that's been a little glimpse, but it's always been the music for me has been what has been the most true voice for me. Yeah, I think if it was possible to kind of encapsulate what I do live, that's probably the, the best representation of, of what I'm doing at the minute, just because I've got such little out overall. Mm, yeah. Um, so I'm dropping a new track, um, hopefully in a couple of weeks. Oh, sick. Uh, if we can finalise that. And that's an old cover, well, it's a cover of uh, an old song called James Alley Blues. Mm. Um, so that's an exclusive as well no one knows that um, <laughs> um so i'll be doing that and and i guess you know that's probably gonna be the most recent thing if someone sort of wants to get an idea for yeah you know cool man how many like originals because obviously you've got the two out at the moment you're dropping a new one but you are gigging and stuff or you were like you were meant to have one with i think was it dax and roxanne in october yeah man what yeah so that was meant to be one mm. so how many like originals do you have kicking around at the moment um finished yeah uh yeah i'm, I'm not sure i want to i want to <laughs> say but um no just I, I i do have to knuckle down um and i feel like i've kind of had this chance to kind of convalesce and kind of dust myself off from mm. uh you know first like sort of rapping touring up and then all this change with going to uni and then just so i kind of got abreast of that it was like lockdown so i kind of feel like I can slightly adapt and really knuckle down. Uh, ideas, I've got more than more than my phone can store at the minute. Yeah. Like, you know, running out of space and everything. Um, so it's just going to be about like consolidating stuff and yeah. actually cool. uh, lighting a fire under my ass. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I did, obviously we can't do it at lockdown, was when I was first starting to write, I'd book like pub gigs, which like two 45-minute sets, and I had like five songs. And then it yeah. was write the songs to fill the sets. And yeah. then by process of elimination, playing live and the reaction and, you know, you get to whittle down those songs to what you like stand by. So there's like yeah. on every, cause I take like a notebook to all my gigs that I write all these sets in and at the front page of every notebook, I have to write down every song that I've written just to make sure that I can try and remember it. But it's such a fun process to whittle down songs and, you know, come together with it and create something. And then when it's live, it just, finally like it clicks yeah i probably my favorite song that i've ever written um original wise came from a situation like that basically i i was due to play a gig uh, last march uh, it's a great venue in uh, chelmsford hotbox um and uh and yeah i was adamant we, we did all these covers and and if i cover something i tend to rework it yeah. so you know, it sort of becomes more kind of about what I'm about. Yeah. Um, but I was adamant I wanted to get this kind of like idea into a full song. I think I wrote it like the the afternoon that we were actually playing. Mm. So I had all the music sorted. The like the band, like you know, the little free piece I put together. We could play through the whole song, but mm. uh, the lyrics came like sort of a couple of hours before I left. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's something I want to try too. Yeah. Cool, man. And obviously you live down south and, you know, go to London for studying and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that being like in like London in that area is beneficial to you as a painter and stuff? Because obviously I live in the Northwest. I know a few people who live in the Northeast and stuff. Do you think there's still like that kind of centralization for music and arts down towards like the capital? 
I find London like super hostile. Really? Uh, and yeah, I, I was born there, uh, lived there for like the first few years of my life, and I study there now. Um, uh, I, I just try and avoid like going to either going to play or going to watch gigs in London. Um, mm. I find it super kind of difficult to kind of come to terms with. I, I do think there's definitely an advantage to being like so central. Um, mm. I mean, I basically live in like a suburb of London. Um, but I think with social media and stuff, it's becoming more and more obsolete. Yeah. Um, you know, just, um, I mean, if Tyler Childers can do it from like the backwoods of Kentucky, like yeah. anyone can, right? So, That's the thing, man. Cause like, you obviously hear about people in the States who have to move, like they don't have to move, but they move to Nashville and that's kind of yeah. the center for that. And then Kentucky's got its like Appalachian scene. That's really blown up at the moment. And I was talking to beans on toast a few podcast episodes ago and he was kind of in the heyday of that London scene where Adele and, you know, all these people were coming through, including himself and Frank Turner and stuff. So I always wonder if it's more beneficial as like a Northwestern artist to make the trip down to London. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely something in it or it wouldn't, like we wouldn't be talking about yeah. it, right? Yeah. Um, but I think it says a lot now that, you know, even like Atlanta mm. becoming the new center for things uh, in terms of, you know, compared to Nashville, a lot of people are yeah. to Atlanta. And if you look like the mass exodus from LA, Mm, yeah that's a really good point yeah, joe rogan left a ton of comedians are leaving a ton of musicians are leaving i think it's really kind of saying a lot about how things are shifting um and you know like covid in in that sense i think it's really kind of pulled the rug out mm. um and i don't really know what like the new normal is going to look like obviously like no one does so so it'll be interesting to see whether london will still be like this kind of hub afterwards yeah, yeah that's really interesting man because it is like like you said, there's these exoduses happening from what is considered where you need to go. So no, that's a really interesting point, man. After doing more, I'm just kind of kicking thoughts around in these podcast episodes for a chance for me to bounce ideas off people. Wait, wait to do blocks. it, man. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, but uh, I'm gonna let you go because you know I want you to have the rest of your evening and stuff. But I really appreciate you taking the time for this, man. And obviously, we'll have to do a gig at some point because. Walking Man and Gallipole were fucking brilliant. And I can't wait Thank to you. hear what you bring out. Like, I'm genuinely a fan of what you're doing. And I wanted to have you on as soon as possible. So part two needs to be face-to-face. But um, yeah, man, I'll let you get on with the rest of your evening. It's a day. Thanks for having me, man. No, thanks so much. There we go. That's episode 22 of Into the Van, Into the Bag. I can't believe we've done 22 episodes, guys. Thank you so much for sticking with me. And we're two episodes off 24, which means we've been doing this for a year. Holy shit. I can't believe that I get to do this and I've got to talk to so many cool people. And I recently watched, I mentioned it briefly in this podcast, I recently watched Spree on Netflix, the horror film about an influencer who's also like an Uber driver. And it got me thinking and it got me a bit worried about, you know, the idea of an influencer on like social media versus an artist or a creator on social media. And I've been a bit, you know, wary of how I approach things this week because I don't want to ever come across as insincere or inauthentic or you know that I don't give a shit about this and it's not about the likes or the views or the downloads for me it's about getting to have these conversations and if one person gives a shit about this then I've done my job and obviously that's a really corny thing to say but you know I wouldn't be 22 episodes deep if I didn't genuinely love this so I thank you for sticking around and letting me 
ramble and talk to people that I find interesting. I really hope you find it interesting as well. Until the next time, guys, stay safe and keep doing what you're doing. Peace.